Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Our opening music today is New Zealand soprano Haley Westenra singing a popular Maori folk song in the Maori language. Pokarikari Ana is a popular Maori folk song in New Zealand. It was composed in the Maori language about 100 years ago. Scan was researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 705 for release on Sunday, August 28, 2022. On the program today, American radio stations in New Zealand, part two. Unusual radio antennas, part three. And our Australian DX report from Bob Padula. Just three weeks ago here in Wavescan, we presented the story of a medium wave station in New Zealand, 1ZM in Auckland, with 1 kilowatt on 1250 kilohertz, that was on loan in 1944 to United States personnel for the broadcast of their own American-style programming. Before Station 1ZM became available, American programming was carried by both government radio networks in New Zealand via stations with call signs in the YA and ZB series. Among the programs noted by local listeners were news, sports, and musical programs, including the American Command Performance and the local New Zealand version of the same program under the name Kiwi command performance. Right, and now in Wayscan today, we present additional interesting information about American radio stations in New Zealand back during that same World War II era and also subsequently. Here's Ray Robinson. Thanks, Jeff. It was in May 1942 that the first contingent of American servicemen, Navy personnel, arrived in New Zealand, and their first responsibility was to build an American naval base in Auckland, together with a shortwave communication station. Back at that stage, with the rapid increase of Japanese victories in the islands of the Western Pacific, American strategy called for an American naval base in New Zealand to serve as their naval headquarters in the South Pacific. Initially, the American Navy was granted shared usage of Auckland Radio ZLD, up until work was completed on their own shortwave communication radio station, which was granted a New Zealand call sign ZLK. The ZLK transmitter station was built at the junction of St John's Road and St Heliers Bay Road, some four miles southeast of downtown Auckland. 
A dozen tall masts were erected to support the shortwave antenna system at station ZLK, which was the only communication station in New Zealand that was operated by American personnel during World War II. The receiver station was installed at St Helier's Bay, about 10 miles distant. However, subsequent war history demonstrates that fortunately, the Americans didn't need a naval base in New Zealand after all, so they abandoned it in 1944 and donated it to the New Zealand government. Station ZLK was soon afterwards taken into various forms of government communication usage. Interestingly, two years later, in 1946, the young international radio monitor Jim Burfield at Strathalbin in South Australia heard this same station with official messages on behalf of the Auckland Central Police. He received a brief QSL letter acknowledging his reception of the station as heard on 1680 kilohertz under the call sign ZLK2. However, some 30 or 40 years later, there was another American communication station at another location in New Zealand, and that was noted on the air under the same call sign ZLK. That new ZLK was located near the airport in Christchurch on the South Island, adjacent to the local airport communication station at suburban Weedens. The receiver station was seven miles distant, quite near the airport itself. The second ZLK was constructed under the American project in Antarctica that was identified as Operation Deep Freeze Antarctica in order to provide shortwave communication between North America and the Antarctic mainland. This ZLK contained half a dozen 10 kilowatt shortwave transmitters that were in operation at about 4 kilowatts due to their age. This station was no longer needed when satellite communication became available. Then some 20 years ago, the Americans installed two very large radar stations in the South Pacific, one in Tasmania and another in New Zealand. These two radar stations were launched under the project name Tiger Radio, and they were established for the security of the southern areas of the South Pacific. The Tasmanian station is located off the east coast on the small Bruni Island, and the New Zealand station is located near Invercargill at the southern tip of the South Island. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray. And before you leave us today, in our program we want to present our third batch of unusual radio-receiving antennas, some of which date way back almost 100 years. During the year 1925, for example, an unusual experiment was conducted, we presume in the United States, in which the exhaust gas from an airplane engine was used as the receiving and transmitting antenna. Yes, Jeff. As the news item in Radio News for June 1925 states, the exhaust gas from an aircraft engine is at a very high temperature, which is heavily ionized, and it can therefore be used to conduct electricity. The experiment was considered to be successful, and the procedure was granted a patent. Over the years, there have been many tests to determine the value of an underground antenna system for the reception of radio signals. In 1927, for example, three consecutive issues of the then-popular American radio magazine Radio News, actually the August, September and October issues, carried information regarding experiments with underground radio antennas. The purpose of these experiments was to determine the possibility of eliminating static that was often evident in the reception of medium-wave programming. The Radio News article in 1927 suggested digging a hole three feet in diameter and four feet deep 
and burying a coil of copper wire in the hole. A lead-covered wire connected the buried copper coil to the receiver. According to the advocate of this procedure, Professor Dr. James H. Rogers of Hyattsville, Maryland, unwanted static is almost completely eliminated. Another similar procedure suggested by Dr. Rogers was to place a long wire horizontally in a shallow trench and then place a metal screen over the antenna wire, though the metal screen does not touch the antenna wire. This experimental procedure, which was also granted a patent, also eliminates most of the static, he declared. Two other radio men, Mr. J.A. Proctor of Lexington, Massachusetts, and the well-known Frank Conrad of KDKA fame, experimented with the use of two out-of-phase receiving antennas of different heights. Both antennas were connected to the same receiver through a complicated system of transformers, and in this way, they claimed, static was reduced. Another advocate for the reduction of static also patented his procedure, and that was to insert a resistor between the antenna and the receiver, though as he discovered, the signal strength of the received signals was also reduced. And then there were two men in England, G.A. Morris and B.C. Stevenson, who had a different idea, which they also patented. They suggested that the receiving set should have two earth connections, one the normal earth connection and the other an antenna, not erected above the ground but rather buried in the ground. We should also add that amateur radio operator Clem Small, KR6A, experimented with buried antenna systems many years later, during the year 2001. According to his information, as published in the now inactive American radio magazine Monitoring Times in the December 2001 issue on page 78, the same variety of receiving antennas that are in use above the ground can also be designed and buried beneath ground level. Although reception levels are reduced, he states that underground antenna systems are easier to install than the above ground level variety. Interestingly, back in the early radio era, Many radio operators advocated that their antennas should be polished, preferably every week or two. In this way it was suggested dust and grime are removed from the aerial wire, thus granting better radio reception, they said. That quote was from another now inactive American radio magazine, Popular Communications, the September 2006 issue on page 23. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray. Ray Robinson there at KVOH in Los Angeles. Now we want to uh, finish our um, report on frequencies from Radio Free Asia for the A22 broadcast period, uh, which uh, we picked up uh, this schedule when we were at Radio Free Asia for the NASB conference last month. And today we have frequencies in Tibetan and Uyghur. And you can report these transmissions to Radio Free Asia at rfa.org. And they will send you a very nice uh, Radio Free Asia QSL card. So here are transmissions in Tibetan. 0100 to 0200 UTC on 9370, 9510, Eleven eight five zero, eleven seven four five, and seventeen six seven zero kilohertz, as well as a frequency that's not promoted 
due to jamming. 0600 to 0700 on 15720, 21690, and one other frequency that's not promoted. 1000 to 1100 UTC on 13860, 15330, and one not promoted frequency. 1100 to 1200 UTC on 13580, 15265, 15460, and 17640. 1200 to 1300 UTC on 11. Five seven zero thirteen five eight zero fifteen four six zero seventeen six nine zero and seventeen eight six zero thirteen hundred to fourteen hundred UTC also on five frequencies eleven five seven zero thirteen eight three five fifteen two seven five. Fifteen four six zero and seventeen eight six zero kilohertz. Fifteen hundred to sixteen hundred UTC on nine three five five, eleven nine seven five, and one other frequency that's not promoted. And twenty two hundred to twenty three hundred UTC on seven five zero five, nine three eight zero, and one not promoted frequency. Finally, twenty three hundred to twenty four hundred UTC on five nine five zero nine five 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 and eleven seven zero zero kilohertz. Those are the transmissions in Tibetan from Radio Free Asia. And finally, in the Uyghur language, a one hundred to two hundred UTC on nine three five zero nine seven eight zero. Nine eight zero zero, eleven six four zero, and eleven seven nine zero, and sixteen hundred to seventeen hundred UTC in Uyghur on nine three five five, nine four eight zero, eleven six seven five, and fifteen six two five kilohertz, as well as one frequency that's not promoted due to jamming. Frequencies there for Radio Free Asia. You can go online to rfa.org, click on Contact, and it will explain where to send your reception reports to to get a QSL card from Radio Free Asia. Now let's go to Bob Padula in Melbourne with his Australian DX report. Welcome to another edition of the Australian DX report. This is Bob Padula in Melbourne, Australia, bringing to you our latest roundup of news concerning. Shortwave broadcasting stations around the world. We include information concerning propagation reports, monitoring information, solar activity news, schedule information, and other items of interest to shortwave monitoring enthusiasts. A reminder that all times we're giving these programs are in UTC, also known as GMT, and all frequencies are in kilohertz. Full detail QSL cards are available for correct reception reports received for the Australian DX report. The address will be given at the end of the program. So now, here is this week's news. The first item this time concerns the Defence Advanced Research Project Agency, 
commonly known as DARPA, originating in the USA. The organisation has issued the first call for proposals for its UIJA program, which aims to use sensors on near-Earth satellites, that's V-L-E-O-S, to gain new insights into the propagation of high-frequency shortwave radio waves in the ionosphere. Due to the high density of charged particles, signal propagation in the ionosphere is difficult to predict. Continuous monitoring of the ionosphere in situ, i.e. right on the spot, would for the first time allow near real-time predictions. The High Frequency Committee of the IARU Region 1, that's the Northern Western Hemisphere, will continue to follow the topic closely and report on it. And this information came from the IARU Region 1 website, so it's interesting news there. But solar activity from the Ionospheric Prediction Service, government organisation here in Australia from Sydney. Solar activity has shown no significant flare events. There are currently no significant sunspot groups on the visible solar disk and there have been no significant Earth-directed CMEs observed recently. The solar wind speed in early June was mostly steadying, varying from 3.06 to 3.39 kilometres per second, mildly elevated after a day or so. There is a possibility of a weak CME impact early in mid-June, which may slightly elevate wind parameters on the same day. Solar flare activity is expected to be predominantly at the RO level, possibly increasing shortly in the immediate future. There also appears to be a solar region behind the southeast limb of the Sun, which is likely to rotate onto the disk in coming days. Now the forecasts. A 10.7 centimetre solar radio flux, 100 is the latest indicator, and the daily smooth sunspot number is now holding that between 48 and 54. And the smooth sunspot number will increase slightly in the immediate future, where the 10.7 centimetre solar radio flux will also increase slightly to about 105. And those predictions are from the Onosphere Prediction Service. The forecasts made available from that government department in Sydney here in Australia. In discussing the level of solar activity, we must remember that with the current higher level of activity, propagation on darkness paths on the higher frequencies will be somewhat more or more impressive, particularly on frequencies above about 10 megahertz. During nighttime periods, of course, during periods of low sunspot activity, there's very little long-distance propagation on those frequencies. So it looks like cycle 24, sunspot cycle 24, may have started, but there's real no no specific information in the Electronics literature, electronics literature about this having occurred, so we'll keep informed. A note now from the BBC in London, from BBC News.
Russia has blocked access to the BBC website and the media outlet has resorted to broadcasting news bulletins over shortwave radio in the country. According to a report in The Guardian, the BBC said it was bringing back the World War II era broadcasting technology in the region just hours before its sites were banned. It's often said truth is the first casualty of war in a conflict where disinformation and propaganda is rife. There is clear need for factual and independent news people can trust. And in a significant development, millions more Russians are tuning to the BBC, said Tim Davey, BBC Director General. We will continue giving the Russian people access to the truth however we can. As part of its resilience operation to ensure news is available in Ukraine and Russian and Russia, the BBC has also stepped up services on other platforms. It launched two new shortwave frequencies in the region for four hours of World Service English news each day. These frequencies can be received clearly in the Kiev and parts of Russia. Shortwave radio users that carry I'm sorry, shortwave radio user frequencies that carry over long distances and are accessible on portable radio sets. The BBC said its shortwave broadcast will be available on the frequencies of 15755, and that's from 6pm to 8pm London time, and 5875 from midnight to 2am Ukraine time. News will be read in English, which the BBC says will be available in Kiev as well as parts of Russia. Now that was a report from the BBC news website which was headed BBC begins World War II era shortwave broadcast as Russian blocks as Russia blocks website we have some notes from the Bulgarian organisation online organisation known as SWL DX Bulgaria News and DX Mix so these stations noted mainly during the daylight trans daylight perception period in Eastern Europe. Transworld Radio, TWR India, broadcasting in Mundari on 13690 by the Yerevan railway station in Armenia. 1315 to 1330 with 300 kilowatts and the antenna at 100 degrees intended for Southern Asia. This program is on the air Mondays and Tuesdays. Another station of TWR India, Broadcasting in Urdu on 13690, also via Yerevan, between 1500 and 1530, 300 kilowatts and 100 degrees antenna to South Asia, programs are Urdu. Brazil, which helps the Radio Nacional de Amazonia in Portuguese on 11780 via Brasilia, 1110 onwards, with 250 kilowatts and the antenna 360 degrees in Portuguese. The antenna is actually intended to support broadcast primarily to Brazil. Reception of the Aramia Public, Aramia Public Media Radio Yoni 3 on 15415. So that's a broken realization, broken broadcast by Isidon in France. 1600 to 1630 with 500 kilowatts and the antenna 127 degrees to East Africa in Oromo. 
another frequency for Transvaal Radio India in the Uyghur language on 11590 via the relay station at Agana in Guam, that's KTWR, 1400 to 1428, 250 kilowatts and the antenna 305 degrees and very good reception in Europe. Mondays to Thursdays. And yet another frequency for Transworld Radio India in Kazakh on 11790 via KTWR relay 1430 to 1445 250 kilowatts and 305 degrees to Central Asia. Siba, Mufaris Broadcasting Association Radio Sama in Arabic Heard on 15260 by the Wolferton, England relay station. 1700 to 1800, 250 kilowatts and the antenna 114 degrees to the near Middle East. A good reception in Europe. Reception of Adventist World Radio, AWR in Spanish on 5010 by WRMI, Okeechobee, Florida, 1100 to 1130. 100 kilowatts and 181 degrees antenna, broadcasting primarily to Spanish daily. Reception of Radio Prague in Spanish on 5010, also via WRMI, 1130 to 1200, 100 kilowatts and 181 degrees antenna to, to Central America. We hope you found the broadcast interesting and helpful for your shortwave radio monitoring. Just a reminder that full detail ADXR QSL cards are available by contacting this address. The URL is simply adxr.org. It gives it once again adxr.org. At that address you'll find all the details about how you may send in a reception report and you can receive a QSL card via postal mail, that's physical postal mail, or via the internet. So until our next program, this is Bob in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, wishing you all good listening, and thanks for being with us. Goodbye for now. And we end Wave Scan today with the same music we began with, Haley Westenrod from New Zealand with a song in Maori called Pokarikari Ana. Thanks for listening to Wave Scan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the radio scene at the end of the highway and our Japan DX report. Several QSL cards are available for this program. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for WaveScan to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in the program, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. 
The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to Wavescan is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next time, good listening, everyone.